Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the notes for the founder of Bottomless. So he was asked on the podcast, why did you choose to write pseudonymously online? Uh, so just a context uh, there before I give you his answer. Um, the host of the podcast first came to know Michael Mayer through all these pseudonymous Twitter accounts that he found interesting and then learned that who the real person was behind the accounts and then learned that the person, the real person behind the accounts was also an entrepreneur. So that's why, how he wound up on the podcast. So Michael had some thoughts on this. He says, it's useful to have a firewall between anything you say online and your real personality. But the main reason is who I am is not that relevant to what I am saying. A lot of social branding is noise. I agree with that 100%. I think the best way to be successful publishing online is to have the best signal to noise ratio. I also agree with that too. Um, and so then he continues this, this line of thinking. He says, it's somewhat overrated to accumulate social capital only under your own name. Notice he said uh, only under your own name. So you could do both. Um, but he says, I still have control over the various pseudonym, pseudonymous accounts that I have. And it's like a Swiss bank account. I can transfer out of it whenever I want. And now we're going to get to the point where I found probably most interesting about the podcast is like his rapid improvement. And what I mean by that is five years ago, I dropped out of college. I was working as a dishwasher. Today, I am a particularly productive person. I have a fast growing company. I have a lot of distribution for my ideas online. It's been a rapid improvement, mainly due to getting my habits right. And so he's going to tell us a little bit about how he did these things. And he says, it's easier to improve by removing things. Remove unhealthy foods, remove binge watching TV shows, remove unhealthy people. It is very important to remove people from your life that don't really want to see you happy. So that when I heard that, it made me think of, uh, I read this book a few years ago. And it's uh, like these aphorisms of Bruce Lee. It's called, I think it's called Striking Thoughts. But one of the quotes I read in the book sticks with me to this day. And he says, it's not the daily increase, but daily decrease. Hack away the unessential. Um, so that's something I think about op- often when I'm analyzing like, how I'm spending my time or, or what I'm giving my attention to. And you see Michael kind of echoing Bruce Lee's sentiments here. And he says, uh, so th- these are some of the things he, he removed from his life. And then he talks about things that he added. And he says, things I've added, exercising regularly. And he makes a really important point here, I think. Your physical and mental health is upstream of your productivity. Trying to be productive first is virtually impossible. And now he talks about why, like, why did you start uh, what's essentially a technology company? He says, technology is the most fascinating thing going on right now. Humans are tool builders. Everything around us was a technology once before. So building new technology is really just building the future. And he says, I had something I wanted. I thought, why not try to build it? I was shocked at how easy it was to build. Remember, he was a college dropout and dishwasher just five years ago. And so he talks about how he taught himself, uh, like he first, what he first realized uh, about how powerful coding was and that you could actually teach it yourself. He says, I don't think people understand how coding works today. There are tons of powerful libraries and technologies that are free to use. They are fully documented with examples for virtually every, anything you want to do. They think you have to be a wizard or somebody needs to teach you how to code. That's not the case. And this is the most important, maybe the most important sentence of, of, out of all the notes. He says, it is a massive amount of leverage for a curious person. Uh, originality is important. You don't have to have an, excuse me, you need to have an original information diet. If you consume the same information as everyone else, how can you come up with unique ideas? So then he recommends some of the, some of the information sources, like what, what some of the things that, that make up his information diet. So he really likes the blog, po- the blogs, uh, Blake Masters, 
his notes on CS-183, which was the source material for, for the, uh, the book Blake uh, co-wrote with Peter Thiel. Uh, zero to one. Most of, a lot of people uh, will know about that. And another blog he recommended was Melting Asphalt and Reaction Wheel. I've read a, a little bit of Melting Asphalt, and I think it's good as well. So I'd link to all those uh, three blogs in the email. Um, you can build a Twitter feed that is high that is high quality by removing people that tweet anything topical, meaning no current events, no politics, no sports, none of that. Anything that, and this is a, actually a good point, um, anything that won't be relevant in a day is unlikely to be a source of solid insight. If it won't matter tomorrow, why would you want to consume that information today? So um, I've talked about a lot on Founders Podcast, like the two main ways that I've learned is through books and through podcasts. And right up there with books and podcasts is, twi- is Twitter. The thing with Twitter is it's quite a bit of a learning curve and you do have to go out and actually actively curate your feed. But once you do, um, it is probably the most powerful network that I, the public network that I've, that I've ever found. Sonny's going to tell us a little bit about his company. He says it's called Bottomless. Bottomless is a smart subscription. We use a weight sensor that figures out the perfect time to ship you to ship your next order. The sensor captures how much you have and how fast you're going through it. And he says, right now we are a coffee company. In the future, who knows what else this can be applied to? And so it's a really clever name. And um, you know, a lot of coffee drinkers will understand this problem that um, if you're not consuming, like let's say you're on a coffee subscription and you're getting uh, a new order before you finish your other uh, coffee beans, like it can get stale. It actually, um, affects the quality of your coffee. So it's actually a really smart way to do it. Um, and then he just, uh, he says something that made me think like, this is why there's such an opportunity for entrepreneurs all the time. It says humans are not predictable creatures. Our consumption of various things are not predictable. And when I heard that, all I thought about, I read a tweet yesterday that some, somebody, uh, saw another, uh, streamer on Twitch, just hit 100,000 paying subscribers. So it's one person sitting in a room somewhere um, playing video games and interacting with his uh, with their audience. And there's 100,000 people that are putting up money to support him every month. And again, um, I grew up playing video games. And as most kids that grew up playing video games, you know, your parents would try to regulate how much time um, that you could spend. Like, oh, don't waste your time to do your schoolwork. Well, in hindsight, now we can realize like most of the schoolwork we were doing was bullcrap. And it would have been better if we actually were playing video games because now it's a career where you can make, you know, as much money as a professional athlete. So um, that's what I thought of. But there's countless other examples of um, things that, uh, that humans are willing to consume um, that you might not be able to predict that far in advance. But if you follow your own interests, you, uh, that's a good way to kind of stumble on that. Um, so he says, I didn't pick something I knew how to do. Now he's going back to talking about bottomless, like uh, starting it. He says, I just picked something that I thought could be great and figured it out. The scale, I mean, uh, they have, so this, the sensor that I was talking about earlier sits in a scale that you, you leave the coffee beans on top of the scale, like the bag, and then it automatically, as you continue to use them, it automatically uh, sends that information back to bottomless. It says, the scale had to be easy to build because I am not a hardware engineer. I didn't even know what voltage or current were when I started bot- bottomless. Um, so I, I love that point because I think a lot of people that have never started companies before look up from the outside, they may want to do it. And they're like, oh, but I, I don't have any special skills or I, I don't like, I don't know how to do it yet. And Michael's point here is like, you just, just figure out what, like what you want to do. And then eventually through trial and error, you'll figure out how to get it done that, that you have the order reversed essentially. Um, doing a Kickstarter to perfect the hardware is overrated. A lot of companies die doing Kickstarter. 
the iterative iterative process got us to where we needed to be. So you just have to make a lot of scales and eventually figure it out. Something underexplored from a business strategy perspective. A lot of very valuable companies own the customer relationship. So essentially what he's building a bottomless, uh, him and his wife, which I'll get to in a minute, um, is a two-sided marketplace. So you have customers that consume coffee and then you have producers that produce coffee. And bottomless is the one that actually owns the customer relationship. They have a direct relationship with the end consumer, even though they they are a essentially like a middleman between the consumer and the supplier. And the only reason they can justify being a middleman is because they're actually adding value to to the to the uh, the activity of consuming coffee. Um, so it's good for the coffee producers because they're getting like they they're opening new streams of income. But bottomless is owning the end result end customer. So. Um, I guess at one point he could say, you know what, I'm going to completely integrate this whole thing. I'm going to start producing my own coffee, which I think is very like a next logical step because he already has the customer relationship. All right. An example of the entrepreneurial ro- emotional roller coaster. I talk about this a lot on Founders Podcast and it's even talked about on these notes a lot. Um, and he makes a, another good point here. When you are putting your whole life into something that is so high variance, it is natural to have high variance feelings about it. Then he talks about how small sample sizes can actually create anxiety. Our pilot program had 15 people in it. Now, you know, it's a hardware company, so it's not like, you know, overnight uh, software, like you could have a ton of people on it. But with hardware, he had to take it really slow. So his point here is like, listen, there's 15 people on. There was not much data. He knows that intellectually, right? But it's an emotional roller coaster. It's not an intellectual roller coaster. So he says one person canceled and I felt this definitely won't work. Um, his co-founder, he says, my co-founder is my wife. I think it is a huge advantage. He also goes on to say that he's, they starting to see this is more common. And from the notes that I've been taking on podcasts, I've also, um, have seen this more like becoming a more frequent thing. So he thinks it's a huge advantage because fundamentally a marriage is a partnership. Um, so people, uh, and then he talks about how his wife is a person of action. And then I liked his insight about that. He says, people of action are very rare in this world maybe more rare than people who have unique insights. Um, and then they were both talking about um, this this letter that the founder of Social Capital, Chamath, wrote, and he has data that states that 40 cents out of every venture dollar is going to Google or Facebook for customer acquisition costs. And I link in the email. You can read the whole letter. Uh, it's available free online. And Michael comes to the conclusion, which I think he's probably accurate about this. He says, I think the number one cause of startup death is your acquisition costs increasing. And last but not least, we will uh, close on this one because I think it's just a, um, has really nothing to do with entrepreneurship, but I just think it's good uh, human relations. It's uh, wanting someone else to do well, regardless of how that reflects on you, is fundamentally kind.